0: Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly.
1: When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.
0: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox Talk, delivering news, interviews,
2: analysis, and more, this is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts,
0: Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast, presented by SeatGeek, the best way to buy tickets. Download the SeatGeek app on your smartphone and save $20 off using promo code SOXMACHINE. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of September 3rd, 2018. On this week's show, we'll be chatting with our friend from Winston-Salem, the voice of the Dash, Joe Weil, as the Dash's regular season ends as they prepare for their postseason run, which starts this week against the Booze Creek Astros. We discuss how Nick Madrigal has looked, where is Luis Roberts' home run power, how Luis Gonzalez ranks with the other White Sox outfield prospects, and And if manager Omar Vizquel is going to be one and done managing in Winston-Salem. We'll answer your questions in P.O. Sox and preview the upcoming series against the Detroit Tigers. But this week, the White Sox went 4-3 against the New York Yankees and Boston Red Sox, which is terrific. And it was Hawk Day on Sunday as the White Sox celebrated his career as it starts to wind down. Both of those topics would be a great place to start this week's show. But oh no. We have to talk about the worst thing about Major League Baseball. Joining me is the co-host of the podcast and the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Where do we even begin when it comes to Eloy Jimenez and the news reported by Bob Nyingale of USA Today on Friday?
3: Well, you know, it's, I guess, still not official. You know, it hasn't come from the White Sox itself that Eloy Jimenez will not be joining the White Sox. Um, but, you know, given that it comes from Nightingale, and Nightingale is very tight with Jerry Reinsdorf and Kenny Williams, you know, it could have come from either of them. Um, it's basically the White Sox word. Although, you know, with uh, <laughs> Ryan Lamar leaving the game early and Avi being a scratch with a knee problem, you know, it's like, it, it seems like forces are conspiring to make it as painfully awkward waiting period as
0: possible. And Nicky Delmonico got hit in the ribs. I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if Nikki has a hard time breathing in the morning. He that was a <laughs> shot in the top yeah. rib on the inside. It felt so bad for him. Obviously, baseball players, you know, they're jacked, right? They're ripped and they got strong abdomen muscles, but I don't care, man. If you get if you get hit by a 90 plus <laughs> fastball in in the ribs, it's got to be painful. Got to be painful. Yeah. But
3: but I don't but know who gets right. the day off tomorrow. Like, you know, if, if you have uh, Avi with a knee problem and Lamar with a hip problem and, and Nikki with a rib problem, you know, that's uh, that's a lot of outfielders down. Yeah, they need to call somebody up. Hmm.
0: Well, yeah, the hmm. Unfortunately, I'm thinking, this is what my gut feels, Jim. My gut feels that Bob Ni- Nyingale is right, that the information that he got is coming straight from either Jerry Reinsdorf or Kenny Williams. And that's just because of past tendencies. It just seems like Bob, as Jim mentioned, is in cahoots with those two, and whenever they need the national megaphone, they know who to go to. Good old
3: Bob as also had like a built in defense you know, he yeah, has the he did. Uh, <laughs> has the line uh, when it comes when when Nightingale has to deliver news from the White Sox front office that um is bound to be unpopular. It comes with a defense. When it was Robin Ventura, when it was Jerry Reinsdorf saying that Robin Ventura could come back, he blamed White Sox fans for overreacting in the same tweet that the story came out when, And <laughs> just saying like, oh, you you would think White Sox the White Sox traded Chris Sale for Tim Tebow based on the way they reacted. And now with, with this one, it's like uh, Elo Jimenez will not be joining the White Sox, but many other teams are doing the same thing. Like, you, you know, it's it includes that little bit of cover uh, just to, um, you yeah, know, I guess... It's that kill the messenger. I mean, I mean part of it might be a don't kill the messenger, but part of it's, uh, you know, helping the messenger get more messages.
0: Yes, you are right. The, definitely that last part. Because, I mean, come on, national guys, doesn't matter who it is, right? I mean, Jeff Passan earlier this week wrote about the relationship between the Players Association and Major League Baseball, and he's quoting anonymous sources Agents, players, general managers, even owners. Owners don't even want to go on record talking about the relationship and what's going on between the league and the Players Association. Uh, So I get it. I mean, if Bob's got to go to bat, right? I mean, he's got to get fed. He's got to write stuff every single day. I mean, so do you, Jim. Uh, But, you know, to keep his job at USA Today, I mean, he needs content like that. So you can tweet out and say, the breaking news, Ayla Jimenez is not coming up. Uh, But the whole everybody else is doing it. So that's been something that's been really bugging me because ever since the news got tweeted out, it's been constant Twitter debates with those fans that, like myself, are really upset the teams continue to do this. And then there are fans that I would like them to use the hashtag Team Jerry Reinsdorf. Where they're almost rooting for teams to screw over players because they say it's part of the rule, it's part of the CBA, they're allowed to do that. Ah, are they? Looking into this, because there's so many people over the weekend saying that this is in the CBA and this is the rules the GMs are under, so why not use them? This is why they are wrong, because this isn't a rule. Service time manipulation is a loophole. And from Boston College Law Review, writing on this very topic is September 28, 2016, by lawyer Peter Kosick. He explains why general managers are allowed to get away with this. In his article, Out of Service, Does Service Time Manipulation Violate Major League Baseball's Collective Bargaining Agreement? And this is his conclusion, which after 37 pages, he wrote about what good faith means and what is in the CBA and which players have been impacted by this. And his conclusion is, since its inception, Major League Baseball has employed a system in which clubs are allowed to reserve the rights to players for long periods of their careers in order to promote player development and competition. In recent years, however, Major League Baseball clubs have utilized efficiencies in the service time system to gain extra years of control not contemplated by the Major League Baseball Players Association in their CBA. Major League Baseball teams' service time manipulation of players like Gregory Polanco, George Springer, and most recently Chris Bryant have been met with outrage from players, pundits, and fans. Whether the seemingly unfair treatment of these players can constitute a breach of the CBA between the Major League Baseball and the Players Association, however, is a difficult issue to solve. The Players Association has a moderately strong argument that service time manipulation violates the CBA by violating the implied obligation obligation of good faith. On the other hand, the many unknown aspects of the Major League Baseball's grievance processes and arbitration procedures, as well as the vast deference given to arbitration awards by federal courts, make it difficult to determine whether the Players Association or any of its members would be able to succeed with a service time manipulation claim. Jim John Heyman wrote about the agents we talked about on this on Sox Machine Live that Elohim Jimenez's agents were not happy in that same story. We talked about Chris Bryant's grievance still in process right now, still pending two years after the fact. And because of this, with this excellent article by Peter Kostick, a lawyer himself Uh, because Major League Baseball doesn't define the grievance process or arbitration procedure for service time manipulation claims, general managers like Rick Hahn can get away with keeping Eloy Jimenez in AAA till mid-April because how can you beat him in arbitration court if the mediator doesn't have a process or procedure to follow? You can't bust him for this. So this isn't a rule, it's a loophole. Yeah,
3: Yeah. no, it's, it's a good point, and it seems like something where you know, even if, and there could be you know, drastic service time overhauls in the next CBA, but when it comes to just improving the system without, say, trying to reinvent the whole idea of, you know, service time and free agency and whether there's a restricted free agency or any other kind of model, you're just having a quicker resolution to these disputes. Would I think, you know, having some teeth in it, I think would... Um, Change the decision-making process a little bit with teams, especially those like the you know White Sox and the Twins with Byron Buxton now. Um, you know where they're you know I think it was uh, Tad Levine said that uh, you know service time is a consideration, and Buxton is really <laughs> yeah. getting screwed over. And just like you know, given that uh, you know it's been two and a half years with Bryant and and you know um, you know Jimenez's agent said they didn't expect uh, a grievance to actually work. You know should they go ahead with it? You know when all said and done, and Jimenez doesn't get called up. Uh, just seems like he- you know, putting some teeth into that might make front offices more accountable and might tilt it towards you know, their decision-makings when it comes to prom- promotions, You know, tilt it towards baseball reasons rather than pure financials.
0: Yeah, because I- I'm glad you brought up the Byron Buxton, because a lot of fans feel like, man, I just wish Rick Hahn was just honest about what was happening. Oh, do you want that honesty? After what Thad Re- Levine has said... You know, his exact quote you highlighted, Jim. I think part of our jobs is we're supposed to be responsible to factoring service time into every decision we make. We wouldn't be doing our jobs if we weren't at least aware of service time impacts on decisions we make. You could take that quote now, everybody, as far as agents that are having players and their service time screwed around with, and you can use that as evidence. Here we go. We know of at least one general manager in Major League Baseball that... Is looking to screw over players with service time. <laughs> oh. yeah. Not not a smart move, Dad. Not a smart move. And uh, even more with this from the Pioneer Press up in Minneapolis. Uh, Levine said the Twins are hopeful the issue will not wind down before a mediator this offseason, but he said the organization recognizes the need to make amends with Buxton and his agents in an effort to smooth over any tension. Levine said their recourse has not been laid out to us. They're certainly entitled to whatever they think is in the best interest of Byron Buxton. From this day forward, I think we recognize the responsibility to make amends and that we're not and that we're going to invest in the relationship with Byron Buxton. We understand that this is a blow to the player and potential blow to the relationship. Jim, they nuked this. They nuked this relationship. So, while I'm upset that the White Sox are not going to be calling up Elo Jimenez in September, I can't believe that a team like the Minnesota Twins is taking this even
3: further and doing this to a guy that's already played two years for you. Yeah, Nightingale didn't really need to uh have that second sentence because I think the Twins are basically providing that, you know, other other teams are doing it and doing it worse, especially since the you know the twins have been historically, even you know, going back to Ron Gardenhire, very bad about rushing guys back from injury. You know, Joe Mauer had that, Justin Morneau had that. Uh, Carl Pavano, uh, you know, uh, a number of guys just you know, ineffective while playing, go on the DL, come back, or just as bad and get hurt again and, you know, delay surgery and everything like that. And I think Buxton was playing with a bad toe. His numbers are terrible. You know, he's trying to mm-hmm. gut through it, tried to come back and, and uh, you know, when the team wanted him back, and didn't work. And, uh, you know, for that, ends up, you know, spending, you know, pretty much the entire year in AAA or at least the bulk of the season gets hot at the end of it and doesn't get rewarded. So, yeah, just, uh, you yeah, know, he's screwed up front and he's uh, screwed on the, uh, you know, at the end of the season too.
0: Yeah, the media from Dan Hayes of The of the Athletic, Dan Hayes, of course, covered the White Sox for many years uh, for what was then Comcast Chicago, now NBC Sports Chicago. But covering the Twins for The Athletic, uh, if you follow him on Twitter still, uh, one of the media... In the, in the scrub, uh, asked uh, Paul Molitor, is Byron Buxton the starting center fielder in 2019? And Paul Molitor won't commit to that. It's going to be a competition. When I read that, Jim, I'm like, Rick Hahn should make a phone call to the Minnesota Twins and ask what it will take to get Byron Buxton. It seems yeah. like the Twins are done with him. No, it
3: could. I wish they weren't in the same division. I think that would be the one thing, right? Maybe stopping them, <laughs> right? Is that you know they couldn't get a great buy low because they would say like, oh man, if if Buxton comes back, it's just you know 19 games of revenge a year, and so I think they might want to send them to the National League or something, in case it blows up on them. But yeah, no, it's it's weird. Uh, the Twins have been weird, um, and, and maybe it, yeah, I thought when they fired. Um, well, Ron Gardenheim then they got rid of Terry Ryan too, and I think they're both bad for each other. I think they both, um, you know, uh, fed each other's worst habits and became a pitch to contact team when the league was hitting for power and, uh, you know, just terrible player evaluation. You know, had guardy Ball <laughs> just got completely wiped off from that, and I thought, okay, you know, new era. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure about Paul Molitor. He's kind of a little bit more experienced than Robin Ventura, but not quite. Um, you know, the classic, uh, you know, trained manager. Um, but you know, having uh, you know Tad Levine come in from the Rangers and just having somebody with you know, a, a new, you know, analytic-based background uh, might change things. And yeah, it's it's weird again.
0: Yeah, and you know, what? if Han decides that he's not gonna call Ila Jimenez, I now don't want him to be honest. <laughs> Levine, <laughs> I just just tap dance, say I have no comments, We're not calling him up. That's final. I'm not gonna go into further explanation. Because guess what? This topic's not going away. If he doesn't come up in September, this is just gonna carry over in February when everybody reports for camp. We're gonna watch a have a terrific spring training camp. He's gonna out hit every single outfielder in camp. And the question's gonna be pressed to Rick Khan. Is he gonna be on the opening day roster? A question that everybody knows the answer to, and that is no. They're gonna wait. Until Jimenez cannot accumulate 172 service days in 2019, so they can gain an extra year
3: of control. That's what's yeah, going to happen. It's, it's going to be awkward at Sox Fest, um, and yeah, it's to the point where like the best thing for the White Sox would be a a late spring injury, to where you know Jimenez, you know, just a minor thing like whether well, it's like the patellar tendonitis he had or the strained pectoral muscle uh you know they had this spring you know transfer it over just so you can say well you know um you know we're gonna option him down anyway so he's on the uh minor league dl and he's gonna need some time rehabbing getting the game so you know by early may he should be ready i think really it's really the best case scenario to provide cover so where they don't have to talk about it because yeah if he's raking and you know given the area he had last year and especially you know if they're they say they don't really do much in the off season and it's the same kind of characters, you know, Avi and uh Delmonico and palka and a bunch of you know, people are just kinda of holding um, you know, keeping seats warm, at least one seat warm for uh Eloy, then yeah, it's just it's gonna be really just kind of painful and uh you yeah, know, it is yeah, it's weird. You know, like you said that you don't want Han to be honest and Kind of do, kind of don't. And, and you yeah, know, it doesn't really matter anyway because we're all just, yeah, you know, if we're we all lying dance to each around other. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, it's, you just rather just not hear anything from him. Yeah. Just based on, yeah, it, it's all just kind of vaguely yeah, insulting, humoring, whatever you want to call it. And, mm-hmm. uh yeah. but it needs to be said. And I, I guess he needs to squirm publicly. I mean, he's got to turn on the lawyer side of him.
0: And he cannot comment about his play because anything he says about, checkboxes and what he needs to further develop will be used against him. If Eloy Jimenez's uh, agents take him to, if they file a grievance against Rick Hahn and the Chicago White Sox. So we may not get much out of Rickon, and we're just going to get agitated and annoyed Rickon, because he thinks that when he says that I have nothing else to add, that it'll stop the questions. Oh no, it will not stop the questions and he will continue to have questions all the way until mid-April, when you decide now is the time
3: to call up Jimenez. I'm really fascinated by the Cordell-Tilson, you know, parts. Like, where if they need to call up an outfielder, say they're just short, they can't really field an outfield. Um, you know, at least not with one with Delmonico in one quarter. Uh, you know, a hurting Delmonico in one corner and Palka in the other and, you know, angle in center and just no backups really that are 100% healthy. You know, do they call up Cordell? You know, do they call up, uh, uh, you know, do they call up Tilson? And and how do they explain that? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, we're
0: going to, I'm sure we're going to find out. I'm sure we're going to find out. Okay. But the big question lingering here, Jim, is this obviously needs to stop. It's the worst part about Major League Baseball because teams are purposely not fielding the best talent on the field. And I think in a lot of ways, it's, it, it's hurting the league. It's hurting the game. There's only like 13 teams that are actually competing for 10 playoff spots in the American and national leagues combined. You got a league of 30 teams. What are the other 17 teams doing? They're purposely not trying to field the best players because of service time. As we talked about, it's all about player control in hopes that in the upcoming years, they will be good and they will have these players longer uh, then I guess intended, maybe that's not the best way to say it, but if you played players on, if they're one of your top 25 players, they maybe have been playing a year or even two sooner, uh, than you were hoping to have, or at least plan to have in Eloy Jimenez's case. Uh, so Jim, w- you know, what are we going to do when there's a work stoppage in 2021? Cause I feel like the only course of action that the players association has, uh, is to go on strike.
3: Yeah, you know it's possible. I mean, there are a lot, you know, a lot of things can happen. But it, it does seem like, um, you know, potentially, you know, if they can somehow address the service time, throw the, yeah, you know, given that there is years of run up to this, I guess that's one benefit that the CBA doesn't expire until twenty twenty one. And On one hand, it's painful. <laughs> You'd rather have it sooner, uh, earlier in the White Sox rebuilds to where you know that the one year doesn't come right in the middle. On the other hand, yeah, I guess the hope is that. With a couple years leading up to it, and the player discontent uh, forming and 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 kind of coalescing, maybe they can head at least some of it off at the pass. To where you know if they do have work stoppage, maybe it's you know after a season, beginning of the season, like kind of like the NHL where the you know, start of the season is delayed, but they don't lose a World Series again. Yeah, yeah, I think maybe that might be the hope to where they address some of it, so where it isn't just a full blown apocalypse, because <laughs> that might be. Uh, you know the I guess the you know medium outcome is median outcome is a work stoppage, a short one, not a disastrous one, not a World Series canceling one, and f- far less makeup time. Um, you know I guess service time to address for you know uh, players that uh, you know didn't play whatever time they missed because of the work stoppage. So yeah, it's, that's I guess my hope is that you know. Our history at the work stoppage, and at least you know, with baseballs fans watching it, is that it's just the worst. And we've seen with other leagues that they've had work stoppages that are just more, you know, compared to that, compared to losing losing a World Series, just more of a minor inconvenience.
0: Yeah, like with the NBA, with the lockouts that they have, and I mean the NFL hasn't had a work stoppage. It feels like in a while. What was the last one? 1987.
3: Yeah, they had the refs. That was the one.
0: Yeah, the replacement refs. Oh, you know what? No. Uh, When Jim Harbaugh joined the Niners, they missed a lot of preseason.
3: Yeah, that was... 2011? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that? I think there was, yeah, a brief, yeah, a stunted start to the season, but I don't think it affected the regular season.
0: Right. But you still had the NBA Finals. You still had the Stanley Cup. You still had the Super Bowl. They didn't miss out on the championship. Yeah. And... You know, there's still a lot of owners that behave like it's still the mid '90s. I don't. I will see. I am worried tremendously about the 2021 and 2022 seasons for Major League Baseball and the direction that I think the Players Association has to go. Because listen, if you're not going to have players be free agents when they're 27, 28, 29 years old, you're you're going to continue to see players get short contracts, right? They get shorted in free agency thinking I'm going to get a five, six year deal when I'm 29 years old. No, you're not. You're going to get like three or four, you know, you're maybe you'll get a hundred million dollar deal because they'll pay you $25 million a year. But the dream of having a long-term contract, not going to happen. And if any team offers you a long-term contract uh, before you hit arbitration, maybe you'll have a shot to hit over $100 million if you're willing to sign away your first two or three years of free agency. And then what after that contract ends? It's a tough situation for the Players Association. This definitely needs to be addressed. It sucks. It's the worst part of Major League Baseball, and it really sucks the life out of a good week that the White Sox had. Uh, By the way, Jim, happy Labor Day. (laughs) Apropos moving over, (laughs) moving over to Hawk day, which was on Sunday. I stayed home. Uh, I went to the previous two games on the Friday, Saturday of the white Sox red Sox series. Uh, But I wanted to watch this broadcast and I thought Wimpy's introduction to Hawk was fun for the pregame speech. And I thought Hawk's speech was rambling, but touching at the end with his thank you to the fans, the broadcast was with AJ Brzezinski and uh, there are moments during the broadcast, some I'm not really wanting to get into, uh, but I came I, I came away impressed, Jim, with AJ as a broadcaster uh, like I am when I watch him do the national telecast with Fox. He, he makes the broadcast fun, uh, especially when he's with Hawk. You've written a lot of words about Hawk over the years, Jim, especially this season being his last. How do you think Hawk Day went?
3: Uh, you know, it was, I guess, not a surprise. Um, especially when he said, you know, that he didn't prepare text, uh, that kind of made <laughs> worrying me a bit. Cause it's just like, okay, he's just gonna kind of slap together. It, well, I, I guess I had a little bit of a, um, you know, lead time. I was at Saratoga race course today towards the end, you know, end of the season. So I didn't see Hawk day live. I came to it later. And so, uh, Greg and, and others were tweeting me saying you know, like, oh God, he's talking about Sabermetrics. <laughs> so I, had, I had some spoilers in terms of what to expect, but not knowing exactly what kind of format it would take and so when I you know sat down and watched it start to finish and he said that he didn't prepare text it's like okay I can kind of know how it's gonna go you know there's gonna be a lot of things he's just gonna guess put the blocks of his you know I guess Lego blocks of his broadcast you know you know 1983 socks you know having the you know second half you'll never see again and you know saber metrics and you know you know just these kind of things you know, these prefabricated uh, bits of analysis. Yeah. You know, provides just kind of stacks them, put them in, the, except he, you know, just kind of put them in the entire timeline of his broadcasting career. Um, yeah. You know, it, it was just, uh, I guess not surprising. You know, he didn't really offer anything new and, and that's a little bit disappointing. It was a good closing though. At least I, I don't know if he put thought into the closing. Um, you know, if that's something he knew he was going to say, or it was something he hadn't said before. And it was very nice way to go out. Nice way to start too, mentioning his wife and, and kind of breaking up there. He got personal, the, uh, beginning got personal at the end and then the middle was like really not about him at all. Um which I guess, you know, as on one hand is, is not selfish. <laughs> on the other hand is just uh, when he goes off about uh Don Fair and uh Sabermetrics and, you know, kinda gets weird and angry and, you know you know, goes on an attack about modern baseball or you know various parts of baseball history, it is weird and, and kinda not fitting of the time. So I guess I wouldn't say surprised. I'm glad it ended on a nice note, but um, it would have been nice, I think, maybe if there was a bit more prepared to talk about it. You know, exact, exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Thought about what do you want to say at this moment rather than kind of sounding like a broadcast where there wasn't uh, You're know, kind of like almost like he's filling in a rain delay. <laughs> well, I mean, that's Hawk though. Yeah. It's his style.
0: He'll say whatever's on his mind. And boy, I am glad that the Boston Red Sox caught that ball at the end of the first inning. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna say,
3: yeah, I think he, I think he made uh, AJ uncomfortable.
0: Not even Paul Konerko, Jim, could have saved that one. If they went any further into <laughs> that
3: topic, <laughs> that would have been a fantastic pivot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, man. but uh, no, AJ was good. You know, and you can tell AJ is seasoned and and you know mm-hmm. he's he's used to calling games and can introduce topics on his own and um, you know. It, it, offers anecdotes and and bits of analysis and you know between pitches he shapes it very well so yeah it, it's nice to have an experienced guy in the booth next to him who can say things when not being set up and his perspective of being a catcher
0: right when we hear steve stone break down pitching he gives the perspective of as a pitcher this is the type of pitch i want to throw in this key situation AJ Brzezinski brings a different... It's the same type of analysis, but a different perspective as the catcher. This is what I would call in this situation, here's the reason why, because I've set up the hitter for this pitch. I think it really adds into the broadcast, and that's why I like him so much with the national telecast. But the question that I had in my the back of my mind is, uh, let's say Steve Stone, because you know he's up there in years as well. He's been doing television for a really long time. If Steve Stone decides to retire... Uh, do you
3: think AJ Brzezinski would be a good pairing for Jason Bonetti? I think so, um, especially since. And the one thing I liked about Pierzynski too is that he pushed back against Hawk on some things. You are know, not like you know aggressively disagreeing, but he, he uh, Hawk brought up Pudge Rodriguez as some as one of the. Uh, greatest game callers that he's ever seen. Um, and, you know, that was uh, superlative, of course. He said it was A.J. Bill Freehan and and Ivan Rodriguez, the best game callers he's ever seen. And he said, well, I thought he had a reputation early on as somebody who only called fastball so he'd get throws off easier and, you know, uh, improve his caught stealing percentage. And, you know, then they they kind of gone back and and Hawk softened a bit or at least adjusted to say, like when he was with the Tigers later in his career, you kind of made it more about that and, you know, made Hawk think about it and, you know, maybe shape his point a bit more precisely. And the same thing with Ozzie too, you know, his typical Ozzie spiel about, um, you know, how uh, the team was fading and Cleveland's catching up and he decided to have... Uh, you know, you kind of make it all about him and, you know, have the media you know, questioning his future and then uh, taking all the heat off him. And AJ said, yeah, sometimes it works. Sometimes it was terrible. He talked about 2007 and having to come to the park and answer for things Ozzy said, he didn't even know what he said. And the first time AJ would hear about it was when there were cameras on him and he's you know, supposed to give a candid live reaction. And, you know, it was nice to hear that kind of pushback to where you have these kind of, uh, you know, the, these, these old saws that, you know, hawk leans on and to you know not quite have somebody calling him out but at least offering a second perspective on things that were seen or things that were heard or things that were experienced and having hawk just think about it a bit more
1: yeah
0: i uh i just hope that well he's worked with so many different broadcasters i think aj brzezinski can make it work so maybe one day down the road we'll have a jason benetti and aj brzezinski pairing if both are interested in broadcasting games on TV, but I thought AJ was good. I still like the idea, though, of having rotating analysts, especially on the road. Be great to get Paul Konerko in once in a while if he's interested on in spending a three days away from the family uh, to do a road series. Be interesting to see how the White Sox handle the broadcast moving forward as Jason Benetti will be doing it full time uh, in 2019 unless he has obligations for ESPN uh with college football next September but then again they they go to Chuck Sworsky uh, yeah. to fill in for Jason Benetti uh, to do play-by-play but it's just things to think about with the White Sox broadcast as a matter of fact I think Chuck Sworsky is actually calling a game on TV uh to because Jason Benetti's got a college football
3: game that he's yeah. got to do yep I think I forget which one but yeah he's on the he's on the ledger and I could see Hawk you know stepping back into to you know, cross off a year as he he goes for eight decades. (laughs) It wouldn't be bad. You know, it wouldn't be bad. It would just be, you know, it'd be familiar. It would be. But then he wouldn't be
0: retired. Isn't that the whole point of this?
3: Yeah, but I, I, it seems like there might be, you know, if he gets to his eight decades, it seems like they might want to do something or he might want to do something. I could see it, you know, being, you know, I mean, Wimpy's retired and he comes back.
0: No, that's true. So good, know, just having that point.
3: kind of you know familiar presence kind of drop in for a game or two if you know Benetti is tied up.
0: Maybe get a ratings boost. You know, people will watch at home if they know that Hawk Harrelson's gonna call this game be like an event, right? Yeah. Special event. One time only this season. Yeah. Be interesting on how it works moving forward. Okay, so a lot of big topics to start the show. We'll quickly recap what happened in the four game series against the Boston Red Sox as the White Sox and Red Sox split the series two games apiece. The White Sox win the season series against the best team in Major League Baseball, of course, uh, because, you know, baseball is very unpredictable. Uh, Lucas Giolito was terrific on Thursday, Jim. Six and a third innings, only allowed two hits, one earned run, walking two, and struck out eight. Unfortunately, the bullpen was not good Thursday night. Uh, James Shields was good on Sunday, six scoreless innings. Where was this James last week? I'm sorry. Uh, only <laughs> on four hits, two walks, and six strikeouts. A type of performance that I think general managers like contending teams were hoping to see in the Bronx against the Yankees, and maybe he gets moved. But alas, he pitched very well on Sunday against the best offense, even though it was a Sunday lineup for the Red Sox. Matt Davidson is coming alive. In his last seven games, Davidson's 10 for 27 with two doubles, a home run, and six runs batted in. Tim Anderson hit his 18th home run on Sunday. He's two homers shy of a 2020 season. He also hit his 25th double. Daniel Polka hit his 20th home run in Section 108, but that was in foul territory, and then came back and actually hit his 20th home run because he hit it in Section 107. So while (laughs) Section 108 is cool and all, For hitters, you're aiming for 107, not 108. 108's foul territory. 107 is in fair territory.
3: At least, yeah, maybe 27, 28 rows back give enough time (laughs) to hook around the pole. There we go. Oh, I got it now. Yeah, you hook around.
0: There we go. There we go. Good idea. Uh, Yomer Sanchez has a 21 consecutive on base streak going. In his last seven games, he was 10 for 28. And he's also been more effective stealing bases. He had three steals. So that's your bullet point of the White Sox-Red Sox series. And then moving over to this upcoming week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, it will be against the Detroit Tigers. Both teams are tied with a 55-82 and record for third place in the American League Central. Your pitching problems for Monday, Labor Day. It's a 1.10 p.m. Central Time start. It is Ronaldo Lopez against Michael Fulmer. On Tuesday, 7.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Lucas Giolito against Francisco Lindor. Not Francisco Lindor. Oh, my gosh. Francisco <laughs> Liriano. On Wednesday, 7.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Michael Kopek against Jordan Zimmerman. So expect rain on Wednesday. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jim, this is kind of interesting as far as the rotations. It is the Young Guns for the White Sox uh, against the Veterans for the Tigers. And again, winner of this series will move into sole place for third place uh, in the American League Central what are you expecting out of this series?
3: It's, it's kind of, yeah, you mentioned the veterans versus young players, and I think it is reflective of where each team is in the rebuild. Um, you know, with the White Sox kind of, hopefully, you know, with Giolito, you know, hopefully this is him turning the corner and not just like another late season hot streak and he kind of gets reset again over the season, has to figure it out again in 2019. You know, Kopech, Lopez, pitch better, like, you know, they're having three guys who are hopefully a part of the rotation. Hopefully it's, you know, two, three, four potentially um, coming together. And then you have the Tigers are still cycling out their older talent and still, you know, in the process of just amassing a farm system. It's still not all the way there yet. So yeah, this, uh, the, the, the rotation, the way they match up suggests that. And so it would be, it would be nice to see Kopech, you know, actually <laughs> deliver, uh, yeah, you, know, you know, not get interrupted and, and, you know, get a, a better idea. Cause I mean, early on he's, he's been good. He's, uh, uh, you know, even though he battled control problems, he's shown some resilience. He's shown, um, I guess some, some craftiness at least, or at least, you know, he has, does have to go to secondary pitches when his primary pitches aren't working. He's had to battle more and he's been winning those battles so far. So that's good. Um, and with the bullpen, the other thing you know, to mention, I guess, is, you know, September call-ups, at least with the pitching staff, with Caleb Frere coming up, Ian Hamilton uh, joined the team uh, after uh, Cedeno was traded. You know, the, the, there's starting to be some strikeouts down the bullpen. Ryan Burr is also there. Uh, so if Juan Mania is now just kind of part of the mix... Um, perhaps the, you know, the, the, weird period where, you know, the, uh, yeah, they, they blew a couple four, nothing leads, you know, maybe those kind of games are, there are not entirely behind them, but at least there is a better chance of Rick Renteria having more arms to go to rather than, you know, Dylan Covey and Juan Manaya I thought Juan Manaya though, he pitched well on Sunday. Well, yeah. I just meaning like leaning too hard on him. Like, you know, no, having okay, to go gotcha. to him time and time again, like, yeah, you, know, it, you know, getting through him you know, against a very talented Yankee team one day and then having to go to him again, hoping to get, you know, uh, you know, a full inning or more, you know, I, I think you just, I don't think you just want to lean too hard on him. I'm fine with Minaya as a depth guy, you mm-hmm. know, as a sixth, seventh inning guy, you know, I think he's just pitching over his pay grade when he's the closer or uh high leverage option. Number one. Right. Just use him on normal usage, right? Every other day
0: or once every three days you got plenty of arms, Rick Renteria, now. In the bullpen, you can have as many pitching changes as you want in an inning. No, no, you cannot. Uh, do not test it. Do not want to see five pitching changes in an inning, Jim, uh, in the
3: month of September. I'm with you there.
0: <laughs> jim and i will reconvene to answer your guys's questions in po socks but coming up next on the sox machine podcast we'll be joined by the voice of the winston-salem dash joe Weil. he shares his observations watching nick magical and Luis robert what's wrong with alec hansen and will omar viskel be one and done with the dash next on the sox machine podcast
1: When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in home Wi Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi Fi network threats. Go online, call 1 800 Xfinity, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.
0: A quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Football is back. And SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game all season long. Whether you're searching for a last minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And it doesn't end with sports. SeatGeek has plenty of tickets to concerts, comedy, and theater too. I use SeatGeek all of the time. I just went to the White Sox games this past weekend against the Boston Red Sox and found a great deal sitting in Section 107 for just $25 to go see the White Sox and Red Sox. And I find it to be the easiest way to shop for tickets, especially for the Chicago White Sox. And for this upcoming series between the White Sox and Tigers, SeaGeek has some great deals. For Monday's game, tickets start at just six dollars. On Tuesday night's game, it's just three dollars to go see the White Sox and Tigers, go see Lucas Gilito pitch. And on Wednesday, Copec Day, Just $6. So if you're looking for great deals on White Sox tickets this week, go to SeatGeek. And if you've never used SeatGeek before, you're in great news because our listeners get to save $20 off their first purchase. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app onto your smartphone or visit SeatGeek.com and use promo code SOXMACHINE. That's promo code SOXMACHINE to save $20 off your first purchase. See Keek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. Minor league affiliates are wrapping up their seasons this Labor Day, except for the few that will be playing postseason baseball. One of those teams is the Winston-Salem Dash, who will be trying to win the Carolina League Championship. Join us to help preview this postseason series, is now a friend of the podcast. He's the voice of the Winston-Salem Dash, rejoining us in 2018. It's Joe Weil. And hello, Joe. Thanks for coming on the show again. Hey, thanks for having me again, Josh. Appreciate it. For this season, as we, we record this before the Dash's final two regular season games, uh, the Dash, Joe, are 83-53. and 53. And there are White Sox fans who hear that, and they're like me, and we are a bit jealous to hear because we like to see the White Sox 30 games above 500 in September soon. Uh, How fun has this season been to call the games for the Dash?
2: It's been a lot of fun, and there's been a lot of moments that you just take in the game and and you say to yourself, it's incredible that I'm watching this at at the high A level. Uh, Doug Sisson, the field coordinator for the White Sox, said that we are expected to have 10 to 15 impact guys in the big leagues from this entire Dash team. That's a lot, especially especially to have at this level because the guys get weeded out uh, as they continue to progress through the minor leagues, but it's just been amazing to see how good this team has been the entire year, the talent that we have, and, and the lineup that we see just about every night where Dash Manager Omar Vizquel and pencil in Luis Robert, Nick Madrigal, Blake Rutherford, Luis Gonzalez, and even guys that aren't you know, top prospects like Yerman Mercedes, it's been a lot of fun to watch. And and I know I'm soaking every moment of this in just to be able to see these guys and, and to hopefully be able to say one day that we were able to see guys like that um, at the high level in Winston-Salem. It's been a really special year. We've had some great wins. Uh, we've seen some great individual performances as well. And uh, yeah, we hope it ends in a Carolina League title. And if it does, it would be the first for Winston-Salem as a franchise since 2003, back when we were the Warthogs. So we're looking for our first as the
0: Dash. Well, it's very exciting. And when we asked our listeners for questions uh, from our Patreon subscribers, all the questions were surrounded by two players, Nick Magical and Luis Robert. And starting with the 2018 first-round pick, uh, as in rec from Patreon, is asking Joe, now that you see him every game, does anything surprise you about Nick Magical? You know, his defense has been exceptional. I've been really impressed by the way he's played defensively. He made
2: an unbelievable jump throw the other night at bb and That Ballpark. That was really impressive, and it was so natural. The whole play developed, and he just you know, went behind second base, threw it across his body, and, and got the runner out at first. So I've been really impressed by his defense. And, of course, like everybody has seen and everybody watched at the start of his professional career, the fact that he just doesn't strike out. Uh, it, it, when it happened, it was a shock, and it still hasn't really happened all that much. He's played 24 games with us, and he struck out just four times. And those are the only four times in his professional career he has struck out. And And what you see usually from hitters, when they join the professional ranks, they don't put up their best performances. I look at Luis Gonzalez. He joined the pros last year, and he wasn't putting up the numbers that he's putting up now. So I think with Nick, you'll you'll see that bat continue to progress to see advances through this White Sox system. But I've been really impressed um, by the way he has played defensively and the way he's swung the bat, and I think he's starting to get a little bit more comfortable here.
0: Yeah, Spencer Olson, he asked a question regarding if you are concerned that we've only seen – magical hit six doubles and no home runs as there hasn't been a lot of pop for magical but do you think that's just a matter of timing to get accustomed to the level of pitching that magical is now seeing
2: yeah, I'm not concerned about it, just because I think it's still way too early in the process. And and like I said, I think it takes hitters a little bit more time to develop uh, in in the in the pros and, and just get accustomed to the surroundings of being in pro ball. Nick has held his own, that's for sure, and he's actually looked a little bit better at the plate as well. It's been a long season for him. I think you have to remember that too. He started playing actual. Game day baseball in February with Oregon State, and he's had a long year. Now, granted, he was out for a significant portion of his junior season, but yeah, he still played in the College World Series, and he's just been, you know, now been thrust into the professional ranks. I'm not concerned about it because I think it's still way too early. He's held his own, which I think when you join the pros as a hitter, that's the most important thing. And uh, you know, just like White Sox fans, I can't wait to see how he continues to progress. He's, he's he's really been ingrained into the, the team pretty well. It helps that Blake Rutherford is someone that he knew uh, from his Team USA days. So uh, I, I look forward to continuing to watch this guy. He, he's fun to watch defensively and with the bat. Uh, he doesn't strike out, which is what we, we knew about him coming into the White Sox system. And I think that the extra base hits will continue to come with more time.
0: Now, speaking of lack of home runs, I think from a lot of us in Chicago, we are still a bit surprised that Luis Robert... Hasn't hit a home run yet with the dash. And John is asking, what's the word on Robert's thumb injury? And is it is that the reason for his power outage? You know, I, I'm not 100% sure that that's
2: the reason. I, I did talk to Luis and, and I asked him, you know, how you're feeling at this point in the year. And he said, yeah, I don't feel 100%, but I feel good. I think one of the biggest things is the fact that he, he's he been pulling the ball a lot. He's been out in front on breaking pitches and, and change-ups, and it's something that Dash manager Omar Vasil is working with him uh, on, on to fix. They have this thing going right now where every time Robert hits the ball to the left side of the field, he owes Omar $10. And every time Robert hits it to center to right, uh, Omar has to pay him $2. I think it's because if you look at, at the advanced numbers, Robert's been pulling the ball a whole lot. He's just been out in front of a lot of off-speed pitches, and they're not going to throw you professional pitchers. They're not going to throw you you know, good pitches if you're swinging at, at that type of stuff. So I think the, the scouting report has been on Robert to throw him breaking balls out of the zone and see if he will chase – he had a great game in our final home contest in the regular season. He went three for four. He had two doubles. It was really impressive to see him stroke the ball to center field, and you're starting to see the bat come around. I still think in a similar way to Madrigal, he's getting adjusted to American pitching, kind of kind of what to expect here in the lower levels. The tools have stood out, and the power is certainly there. His first batting practice, he hit three absolute bombs uh, and dash hitting coach Charlie Poe quipped me and said that's twenty six million dollars right there. So I think it'll I think it'll come with more time with him. I think this the season's also been kind of tough with the fact that he's had to deal with so many different or he's had to deal with a thumb injury, you know, time and time again and he, he was you know, grooving when he first got up to Winston Salem and then he got injured and then now he's trying to work his way back. So it it's definitely hampered him in the sense that he hasn't been able to be on the field consistently throughout this 2018 season. But the powers there, I think we'll see it with a lot more time because we see it in batting practice. We see the loud tools in his other parts of his game. I think that'll come around.
0: Now, looking ahead, White Sox fans are thinking that Madrigal and Robert will start the year in Birmingham. I don't think so. Do you think that there's a good chance that you will see Robert and Madrigal start 2019 with Winston-Salem again? I
2: can see them both being in Winston Salem and, and for Robert I think one of the bigger reasons why I could see him in Winston Salem next year is because of the glut of outfield prospects that you already have. And we'll see what happens in the off season with, with all the outfield prospects. But you know, we had just had guys called up at mid season that probably need a little bit more time at the double A level. Blake Rutherford will be with the Barons next year. He shouldn't be in high A uh, you know, to start off twenty nineteen. So I think with that you should expect to see Robert in Winston-Salem. That can obviously change, and we'll see. Um, but but I would expect him to be back with us at the start of next year and then to get him more reps. And, you know, hopefully the thumb injury is behind him at that point, and then we'll start to see the power that we that we were talking about. Uh, but I, I would expect him to, to start in Winston-Salem. I, I think for Nick Madrigal, it would be probably the same deal. Uh, I, I think the White Sox are, are not doing what they used to do, and that was, you know, rush the – the high-round prospects, and you saw that more with the pitchers than the hitters, but I think that they have the time right now to be patient with this type of stuff. And with Nick, I think getting him back at the high-A level, maybe you start to see the extra base hits to accumulate more, and then you get him ready for double-A Birmingham. That could change, we'll certainly see, but I'm in the same I'm in the same thought there with with you, Josh. I think both these guys end up starting in Winston-Salem next year.
0: Now, we do have to discuss some concerning news, and that's surrounding starting pitcher Alec Hansen. He struggled with his command all season long with Birmingham and now with Winston-Salem. When we're watching him, Joe, we're seeing really high walk totals in his recent starts. Do you know what the plan is for him for the rest of the year? Will he make a start in the playoffs?
2: Don't know the playoff rotation yet. That's something I'm going to have to talk with Dash pitching coach Matt Sileski about, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how we end up setting up our playoff rotation because you have guys that have their innings cap right now, and Hanson's a guy that is sort of rehabbing back with us in Winston-Salem. It's It's been tough for me to see Alec because I saw him last year, and he may have been the most dominant pitcher in the Carolina League that we saw in 2017. Big reason why he led the minor leagues in strikeouts. He just hasn't had it, and you you can almost sense it watching him on the mound that he's not completely comfortable. And now he's put together some some stretches where you saw the old Alec Hansen. in his second start. He gave up two runs in the first inning, and then he battled back. Actually, struck out six over two and in two thirds innings, but he just doesn't look like the guy we saw in 2017 that was that was dominant and had a lot more confidence on the mound and. I think at this point, you just have to chalk it up to a lost season. And I've seen people on Twitter say, you know, oh, he's a bust. And I think that's ridiculous because you saw what is there in that 2017 season. And you hope you can fix it because he's got those loud tools and he's got he's got the height, which, you know, as they as you say, you can't teach height. And he's got the blazing fastball. He's got a good breaking ball. He's got a good changeup. It's just about locating and he's been missing up with a lot of things. We'll see if he ends up pitching in the postseason. I think that's the plan. Um, but, uh, but you know, things can change. And, and, and for him, I, I hope he gets an opportunity because he's pitching tonight, actually, or today against the Downies Wood Ducks. I, I hope that he has an outing that he can
0: end the season on in, on a, in a positive note to kind of build forward for
2: uh, the next year.
0: Well, let's chat about what is going well for the Dash. And one of those players is outfielder Luis Gonzalez. Joe, this is a crowded system. We talked about it before when chatting about Luis Robert. When it comes to outfielders for the White Sox, and you've seen a lot of them during this season, <laughs> where where does Gonzalez rank compared to the other outfield prospects?
2: He's right up there, and and, and I I may say he is the most polished hitter we have uh, on our team right now. I'd probably say it's him him and Blake Rutherford, but. I've been really impressed by watching Luis. And, and what's amazing to me is that there's been zero drop-off from Kannapolis to Winston-Salem. In fact, if you look at the overall numbers, he's actually gotten better. And what's great about Luis is that he keeps the strikeout rate low. He's got the second lowest strikeout rate on the team, just behind uh, Nick Madrigal. So not only does he not strike out, he puts the ball in play. He's, he's, a, he's a patient hitter, too. He's got a good on-base percentage, but he can drive the ball. He's got a good sound off his bat whenever he connects with the baseball And he picks up a lot of doubles. What's amazing is that he started out on our team in the second half of the year. So he wasn't in Winston-Salem in the first half. And right now he's five behind Gavin Sheath in doubles. Gavin's got 27. Luis has 22. And that just goes to show how impressive he's been uh, with us so far. The power's been there. Really, really good pick by the White Sox in the third round last year that they got him out of New Mexico, which obviously isn't a baseball powerhouse, but the White Sox saw something in this young man and, and, and boy, has he been a lot of lot of fun to watch.
0: Is it just the power that impresses you or are there other aspects of his game that really jump off the page?
2: Well, he has good speed and also defensively he's impressive. He doesn't he doesn't get tricked on, 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 on reads, you know, on fly balls. I've been impressed by the way he's been able to handle different positions too. We see him mostly out in either center field or left field. So you have that positional versatility out there in the outfield, but Along with the power, he's got some good speed, uh, and the plate discipline I, I think is just really impressive uh, on the whole from him. And you know, with college bats, the the, the 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 go-to phrase is that they're more polished. And with with Luis, he's a really polished hitter. I think it says a lot that Chris Getz, you know, the director of player development, said that he probably should have started in Winston Salem, but he did not because of all the prospects we had in the first half. He's shown that he clearly belongs, and he's a guy, I think, probably more so than Robert that should be at the Double A level next year if you're going to say somebody outside of Blake Rutherford amongst the outfield prospects for the White Sox should be uh, in A to start off next season. He's been that good.
0: I agree with you on Gonzalez. I am expecting to see him start in Birmingham, and speaking of Blake Rutherford, we got a chance to have him on our show earlier, so we got a chance to know him a little bit better. Uh, he's still young. This is a full season in the Carolina League. How do you think he's held up after 115 games?
2: Uh, I think Blake's done a really great job this year, and, and he's he's honestly one of my favorite storylines from this this 2018 season, and and another reason why it's been so fun to watch this team. You know, I think Blake had a he had a, a tough time adjusting after getting traded over from the Yankees to the White Sox, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one of which is that he got traded over from his favorite team, his childhood team, and he got into to an organization he didn't know anybody in. And then I think also it was his first full professional year. And, and if you talk to him, you have an honest conversation about last year, he, he just felt like he was trying a little bit too hard last year. Um, but he's been great to watch. He's held up really well. I know he's nicked up a bit, and, and that just, that just kind of comes with the territory when you play a full season of professional baseball. But he's been one of my favorite developments this year. He's matured a lot. He's become a great clubhouse guy. Uh, he's put up some really great numbers. He hits the ball hard. Uh, I've, I've been very impressed by, by Blake and, and the way he has uh, performed here in 2018, and he's been a guy that's been a consistent in our lineup all year long. We have certainly needed him. And He's had some pretty big games for us. He's been a big run producer. He's among the league leaders in hits and batting average. And you mentioned the youth. He's still 21 years old. There's still a lot more time for him to develop. And, and, And the home runs, they've increased this year. I think you'll continue to see that more and more as he continues to mature. And that's something he's heard from Christian Yelich, who's one of his good buddies. But I think that'll you'll start to see the the power come a little bit more as he continues to advance through the system. Um I, I love watching Blake. I love getting to know Blake too. He's a he's a really great guy and uh I, I think he's really come into his own here in this twenty eighteen season.
0: All right, let's preview this postseason series against the Booze Creek Astros. It's a best of five first round. And this is starting to become a rival between Booze Creek and the Winston-Salem Dash. Some great games over the last two years. The first two games are at Booze Creek, even though Winston-Salem won both halves. So it's a bit weird, Joe, uh, to be <laughs> on the road for games one and two, but be the I know. home team
2: it's in like, games It's like, come four, on, four, Josh, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, it's, it's just like, come on. We, we, we
2: win the first half. We, we, we've been the better team overall. But yeah, no, so that's how it's set up. Games one and two, and uh, we get three, four, five.
0: All right. What should White Sox fans expect out of this series against Booze Creek? Well, it's a fun matchup because you
2: have the Dash, who have been the best hitting team in the Carolina League, and that has shown throughout several different offensive categories. But the Astros have a really good pitching staff, and they've led in ERA pretty much the entire year as a team. They also lead the league in strikeouts. The one thing I will say is that some of their top pitchers have moved on uh, one guy that we saw recently that I think was really impressive is JB Bukowskis, but he was called up to double A Corpus Christi, and he was a, a former first round pick by the Astros. They still do have some talent on the pitching side. They have a guy named Tyler Ivey, who was a third round pick, and also Peter Solomon, who was a fourth round pick. So we're going to see some good pitching from the Astros. The Dash also need to find a way to overcome the road territory. I, I don't know if people know this, but Bowie's Creek, they play at Campbell University. Uh, Jim Perry Stadium, and there is maybe on a good night 300 people in the stands, which is different than bb and t Ballpark, which sits 5,500. So they they had one series where you could just tell the energy wasn't there. They they came back the next time, though, and took two out of three after being swept in that that, that first series I mentioned. And I think with the playoffs, obviously, there's a lot more motivation there, too. So I think it, what's really important for Winston-Salem is to just at the very least split at Bowie's Creek, and then you come back home for three games where Winston-Salem has been the best home team in the Carolina League this year.
0: Now, if the Dash beat the Astros, or should I say when they beat the Astros, (laughs) they could face either the Potomac Nationals or the Lynchburg Hillcats. Uh, I'm safe to assume that for our listeners, the Potomac Nationals are the Nationals affiliate. Uh, The Lynchburg Hillcats are the Cleveland Indians affiliate. Who do you think wins that series between those two teams?
2: You know, it's a good question, and and I'll say, if I had to go out on a limb, I I'd probably I probably go with Lynchburg because it, it helps a lot of times when you're the second half team in these Carolina League postseasons because you have you still have the guys that you had when you won the second half for Potomac. They've lost a lot of talent uh, since that that first half run. The one thing I'll say, Josh, and I hope I hope this doesn't come back to haunt me, but I really think, and I think our our players think this, and I also think a lot of people around the Carolina League think this, but I think whoever comes out of the Southern Division Championship Series will win the Carolina League title. And that is because Buies Creek and Winston-Salem have been the two best teams in the Carolina League. So I think it's whoever wins that series will be the overwhelming favorite in the Mills Cup Championship Series. I'll go with Lynchburg, and I think whoever ends up advancing from the Northern Division will have a a pretty tough task ahead of them just because the Astros and the Dash have been really good.
0: Now, the Dash do win it all. That's a very impressive first season managing from Omar Vizquel. And this type of season is one that will catch a lot of eyes in the Major League level, Joe. Do you get a sense that this is a one-and-done year from Vizquel uh, coaching the Dash?
2: Well, I I think it's probably a one-and-done year with the Dash. I, I hope for his sake that the next year of, you know, in 2019, he ends up getting a big league job. I, I, I possibly see a, a different scenario where he goes somewhere else, maybe within the white stock system, or he takes, you know, maybe a, a job on uh, coaching staff. But uh, I hope that this is it for him in the minor leagues. I hope the next step is, is the major leagues. Um, yeah, I think he's been really good with this group. He does a good job keeping everybody loose. Like we've talked about before. Um, I, I think though with the dash, this is probably it, and we're savoring every moment we can have for them because he's been a he's been a lot of fun to work with. I mean, we can and we'll obviously see what happens in the off season and, and what the White Sox and, and he decides as well. Maybe if something doesn't open up and he really likes being in Winston Salem, he'll come back. But I I would put my money on this being a one and done year in Winston Salem, and uh, what a
0: year it's been though. Are you keeping the lineup cards because they're so beautiful? I mean, he does such a great job
3: with them. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, we're keeping the lineup cards, and and um, I I have kept a mement, a memento that that Omar gave to me in April. We were on a trip uh, at Down East, and, and you know before I really knew about his drawing abilities because I knew he painted. Um, we went out to lunch one day, and and he was telling me about his drawings, and he said, you know, I I should show I want to show them to you, and then he took a picture of my face. He actually created a picture of me, which I have uh, in my apartment right now, and and I will keep a keep it forever. It's not 100 percent accurate, I would say, <laughs> but it's uh, the the fact that uh, the, a possible future Hall of Famer drew that is pretty neat. Uh, the, the the line of cards have been unbelievable. I hope we continue to see that in the postseason, but that's just kind of another part of this Omar experience that that we get to enjoy uh, in Winston Salem. It's been a lot of fun.
0: You can listen and watch Joe call the postseason games on MILB.com and on the MILB First Pitch app for your smartphone. Game one of the playoffs starts at 5 p.m. Central Time on Wednesday, September 5th, so before Michael Kopech gets on the mound against the Detroit Tigers. Definitely watch to see on how the Dash are performing in game one. For more details, visit WSDash.com and follow Joe on Twitter. He's at Joe underscore Weil. Joe, as always, thanks for coming on the show. Best of luck during the broadcast, and we're all rooting for the Dash to bring home the Carolina League Championship.
2: Josh, thank you so much for having me. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts.
0: Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Socks. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show, where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter, tweeting them to at Sox Machine, posting your questions on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sox Machine, and helping support the show and the website by signing up to become a friend of the podcast at patreon.com slash Machine. And I'm rejoined on the show with Jim Margulis to answer your guys' questions this week. And Jim, the first question we have is from Simeon. And Simeon's asking, what are the front office's priorities over the remainder of the regular season?
3: Well, you know, assuming that uh, Eloy Jimenez is not called up, I think their first priority is trying to avoid that topic whenever possible and uh, not getting themselves in trouble. So there's that. But otherwise, you know, aside from that, I think it's just more of a matter of, it's not playing out the string because these guys seasons, the way they end them are important, but I mean, just trying to figure out what to do with, you know, how good is, you know, assuming, you know, say if Yomer Sanchez carries this all the way through, if Adam Angle's hot streak does not disappear on him, um, you know, what to do with, These fringe guys, uh, Sanchez, Angle, Delmonico, Polka, Davidson, you know, all these guys who are, you know, compelling for one reason or another, but not have had massive outages over the course of the season and, you know, ultimately have below average numbers and don't have a lot of, you know, er, know, I guess massive holes in their game, I should say, because, you know, Sanchez has different ways to contribute, but, you know, he's just maybe not an everyday third baseman. Um, you know, polka has power, but the bat control isn't necessarily there. Davidson, you know, has these, you know, long slumps. Delmonico is, uh, you know, whether he has got power, you know, they just, all these questions, you know, I think the front office wants to try to answer as uh, thoroughly as possible before they start going into the offseason and think about upgrades, uh, whether it's, you know, going for the big ticket guys or uh, trying to acquire change of scenery guys to maybe, you know, add to the competition there. And then I think it's the bullpen, just, you know, I guess filling that out. And, you know, whether it's, um, you know, whether they add guys like Jose Ruiz or Carson Fulmer along with Frere and Hamilton, you know, just making sure that these guys, uh, you know, get opportunities and and evaluating them, seeing whether they're part of the seven to eight man mix to open in 2019, whether, you know, they need to add from the outside there. But otherwise it's, you know, the White Sox are in a good position where um, it's not... You know, it's September baseball, they're not contending, so it is, you know, meaningless in the classic term. But, you know, all these guys, you know, we talked about it last week. All these uh, efforts are not, uh, um, you know, a waste because they all matter to the individual and individual efforts add up.
0: Yeah. Daniel Polka spoke with Scott Merkin after the game, and it was a pretty interesting quote from Daniel Polka that despite our record, uh, we are a good team. And,. We are playing our best right now. So it really lends, you know, leads, uh, lends itself to what you're saying, Jim, that even though these games are quote-unquote meaningless, and again, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have people complaining that the White Sox are wrecking their draft position for 2019, you still have players like Daniel Polka that these games mean something to them.
3: Yeah, I should say Jose Rondon too. He's another guy who's on that fringe of maybe interesting, but mm-hmm. don't quite know. I think he'd be effective offensively. Yeah, I think nothing else. He's a good swap for Saladino in the depth departments. But yeah, and I think Michael Kopech had a quote along the same lines, just saying, you know, they've been a winning team as long as he's been there. And it kind of sounds selfish or like self-serving, or, or but he just said, like, you know, the team I've seen mm-hmm. is a team that's winning games. Well, I, you know, part of that's attitude and you know it's all about
0: that winning culture right everybody talks about we need to build a winning culture in order to be successful in the clubhouse well maybe this helps maybe if these guys a lot of them are going to be playing together in 2019 if they believe that they could be a winning team in september maybe that carries over in spring training the month of august in 2018 Means a lot more in my opinion than the 500 month of September in 2017, because again, that team finished 13 and 13 in September, not like what these guys have achieved in August. Where what was their final record in August? 16-12, 17-12, and they win four out of seven against the two best teams in the American League. Hopefully, this keeps rolling in September, and I mean they can have two strong months to finish 2018. I think that lends itself more to having higher hopes that 2019 won't be a dumpster fire. Yeah. uh, Like the beginning of 2018
3: was. Yeah. And I can see September, you know, just helping answer whether August was a mirage, you know, even if, you know, say they do lose games and, and you know, the defense, uh, um, because they 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 have been really playing fantastic defense, and say you know whether it's the injuries been. in the outfield or, or what have you, um you know that the defense um you know loses its its uh, its, its sharpness, and uh you know Giolito stumbles like you know, you know has a you know, returns to his rut a little bit and Lopez is you know, hit or miss and so forth. They lose games and, you know, you still might have the same questions and maybe August isn't that big of a deal. But if they followed up and you have two strong months instead of one, and it's, you know, guys who have learned how to adjust to a league that adjusted them. Yeah, that should mean a little bit more. The next six games are at home against
0: the Tigers and the Angels. So they can go four and two. In those six games, yeah, I think they got a good chance of having a winning month in September, if not even better than four and two. But it's a great question, Simeon. There's definitely a list of things that the White Sox front office has to do as they prepare for the offseason, which is we'll see and how the pace goes this upcoming year. Uh, It could be just as slow as it was last year. Our next question comes from Johan Dobrinsky. And Johan is asking, Jim, with this recent run of success... How much of it is good luck, and is some, any of it, sustainable into 2019?
3: Well, you know, I guess it depends on the definition of luck and whether, you know, I guess you can treat that as regression. Um, Right now, they're on a 65-win pace, which is still under, uh, which is still the under on their over-under for uh, wins to start the season. Um, You know, so that's kind of... They're they're getting back to being a little bit worse than they thought they were. <laughs> like so, when it comes to the um, you know, this upswing, it's like at part of it's just making up for being worse than they should have been for such a long stretch. And and so you know, there's there's partially that, but I think it's also you know Kopech and Giolito going a long way. I think Kopech, you know, bringing his talent up to the majors, uh, replacing a guy uh, you know Dylan Covey who. Did not it does not have Kopech's talent, especially in in the starting role. I think Kovey has potential to add to the bullpen. But you know, talking about that role, you know, one player over one player, you know, Kopech is a is a massive plus in that regard. Giolito is a massive plus over himself. You know, he's kind of upgrading on his own spot. Um, Then you have the the bullpen shaping up and having more strikeout guys, more strike throwing guys. You know. Hopefully, you know, in case of especially Hamilton, uh, less prone to imploding, you know, that helps kind of stabilizing the game on both ends. Uh, I guess the one thing I would say, or I guess my, the one, one reason I can see it fading in September is just the, the injuries in offense, you know, losing Abreu or, you know, not sure what kind of shape he'll be in, you know, if, and when he gets back uh, from whatever surgery he had, you know, Larry Garcia, not being able to, he won't be able to rehab. Um, so, you know, I don't know how much to you can even expect from him, you know, should be he be able to get back? Not having Eloy, having these guys getting banged up, especially Avi. Um, you know, there could be some massive gaps in the offense to where, you know, the walks dry up again. Uh, you see some weeks or, or series where they score three runs in three games. And I, I think it would be my biggest concern. Um, but you know, right now, I think there's enough pitching-wise and defense-wise to at least... They should be in far more games and at least uh, that part of the run prevention unit is you know maybe not even average but respectable professional. Johan. thank you so much for your question. Our next
0: question comes from John Thorson. And John is asking Jim, what has gotten into Yomer Sanchez? A 4.18 on base percentage last 15 games, 353 over the
3: last month? Yes, please. Yeah, no it's it's been great and you look at his, you know, underlying numbers and it's not by you know it's not by luck. It's not like you know, a, a crazy bad or anything. The the contact is up, uh, both inside and outside the zone. You know, he's, he's being a little bit more effective, a bad ball hitter. He drew 15 walks in, uh, in August, which is completely out of nowhere. The strikeouts are still up a bit, but the walks are there. You know, he's, he's seeing a bit more and getting more out of deep counts, uh, which is good. And, And, you know, hitting the ball harder, hitting the ball on the ground a bit more. I think, uh, or no, I think it's line drives are up, fly balls are you know more or less level or down, ground balls are a bit up, but you know the line drives are there. The, the contact is sound. So, um, you know, the question with that is, you know, is this kind of new or is this a yeah? You know, we're talking about regression again. You know, he's back to being a 700 OPS guy, which is probably you know entering the season more or less what he was, and I think Zips had him at 684. Uh, I think the OBP was, you know, looking at his projections, I think it was a 297 OBP. And, you know, that's, I think, a bit low for him. I I would consider 700, I guess, more or less the baseline. That looks like something like 325 OBP, 375 slugging. I think that's kind of a a middle outcome. I shouldn't say baseline, a middle outcome from him. And he's kind of back at that right now. So I think, you know, like we talked about with the White Sox and their win-loss record overall, I think Sanchez is kind of a personal embodiment of that, you know, regression phenomenon, getting, you know, having a massive slump and uh, losing his way and coming back and drawing more walks than you think he should. And, you know, hitting a ball a bit harder and ultimately getting back to where he should have been all along. So uh, he's another guy who September will be, you know, valuable for whether, I I still don't think he's an everyday starter at third base for a winning team, but I think he's probably the best case scenario for a lot of teams uh, as a primary backup infielder. You know, should a guy go on the DL for a month, If you have to have him start at third base for a month, if he's your backup option, that's fine. Do you think that the White Sox will flirt with Mike
0: Mostakis in the off season or any other third base options to be the starter over Yomar Sanchez for 2019?
3: It wouldn't surprise me for them to take a run at Manny Machado. Um, Yeah. I I don't how seriously you can take it when all the offers are weighed. Um, Yeah. That, yeah i guess that can be debated but it seems like you know if, if they recruit and play third base i think it's just like it's perfect fits talent wise team wise age wise you know everything there he's a perfect fit for a lot of teams but <laughs> never mind that um but just yeah i think he's the kind of guy who you know it, it's you know makes every bit of sense to go after but i think when it comes to somebody like moustakis um Maybe they add him, you know, maybe to add to the corner mix, especially, say, if, you know, Brayu is in his last year and, um, you know, Davidson is potentially, if, if he's not back or, or playing an important part, maybe they, they add to him in the corners. But um, when it comes to starting every third, I, I think the season says that um, – you know, I think the defense is sound enough to where the value is there. You know, the value itself is not a complete mirage, not you know a weird one-year defensive wonder like Saladino was a little bit. But uh, it it seems like with so another one-year deal be defeating for him. It, it, so it seems like in that particular case, it just seems um, to be unsatisfactory for both teams. Just being kind of a you know now that Moustakis is doing it two years in a row, it feels like a. Um, you know, mercenary, and I can see him being unhappy with that arrangement and, you know, being on a new team like the White Sox, who don't have major plans for him, just being a little bit unsatisfactory all around. So I can I can maybe see avoiding the rental, but ultimately beefing up the the corner spot, And maybe that means that Yolmer isn't starting, but I think for maybe one year, more year, it could be the case if he finishes with a strong September. Thank you guys for your questions this week in PO Sox. Terrific
0: questions as always. If you have a question for a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sox Machine and help support the show and the website by becoming a friend of the podcast by signing up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. Our subscribers there get an opportunity to ask questions to all our guests and get an opportunity to ask additional PO socks questions for every episode. So if you like more content from Jim and I go to patreoncom slash socks machine to sign up and help support the podcast and the website greatly appreciate the support all season long. As we enter into September, you guys have been terrific and hopefully you have found this to be worthwhile as far as the extra Content. i also like to thank our guest this week, Joe Wild of the Winston-Salem Dash. Again, Joe will be calling the postseason games. They start this upcoming Wednesday. So if you're looking for some postseason baseball, you can go to MILB.com or download the MILB First Pitch app and watch the stream or listen to the broadcast. And we'll be recapping those games on SoxMachine.com. And hopefully the Winston-Salem Dash can bring home the Carolina League championship as, again, so many of the White Sox top prospects will be part of that postseason. That will do it for this edition of the Sox Machine podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you just discovered the show, you can subscribe in a variety of ways. One is through iTunes by going to the iTunes store, search Sox Machine, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.
1: When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the X-Fi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.
2: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns.